today from the Global Lane, Aegean and Mediterranean showdown. NATO allies on the brink of war fighting one another. If there's military action, it's going to be limited military action, and then there's going to be a negotiation. Assault on America. Rioters arrested. We are witnessing a, a, a coup attempt. Opioid addictions and deaths up during the COVID pandemic. And culture of death to liberty and life rising in the USA. And life defended for the baby of a pregnant 10-year-old in Brazil. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Ancient foes squaring off militarily in the eastern Mediterranean. Are Turkey and Greece inching closer to war? Both are members of NATO, American allies. Well, joining us to provide some insights on this volatile situation is Hudson Institute senior fellow Michael Doran. Mr. Doran served at the National Security Council, the State Department, and Pentagon under President George W. Bush. Michael, it's good to have you with us. So I guess tensions are high. Both countries are flexing their military muscle in the Eastern Med. So please explain, what's this dispute all about? Well, for, first of all, hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, there, there are two different interpretations about, uh, um, about economic rights in the Aegean. And the, uh, the Greeks lay claim to almost all of the, the Aegean on the basis of the islands that they have in the Aegeans. Um, the Turks say that uh, basically the sea should be split between the two um, based on uh, the continental shelf. They say that uh, Greece's economic zone should, should proceed out from its continental shelf, not from all of the islands. Uh, the Greeks have the UN law of the sea on their, on their side. The Turks have a, um, some other um, international agreements and, um, uh, and interpretations of international law on their side. Um, what I think the U.S. interest is here is to find a negotiated settlement between them. So who actually has the rightful claim, in your opinion, uh, internationally recognized claim, I guess, to the territory uh, where the oil and gas deposits are located? Well, uh, I'm, I'm in the minority this day, these days in Washington in that I think that the, the Turks have a, uh, a very strong claim um, and are being um, and, and are being treated in an unwise fashion by the uh, by the international community. I think we, we've allowed a lot of attitudes about um, Erdogan um, to color our interpretation of a lot of things that are that are that are going on um, uh, with regard to Turkey that actually have nothing to do with Erdogan. I think every Turk um, regards it as um, just sort of commonsensical that Turkey, which has the longest coastline. Um, in the Mediterranean should have a significant economic zone. Well, we're seeing some new alliances, an agreement between Turkey and Libya, another between Egypt and Greece. Uh, what role are Libya and Egypt playing in all this, this attempt to dominate the Eastern Med? Well, that's what the, 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 the Turks have intervened in Libya, and one of their major reasons for, uh, for intervening there, um, I, I think, was in order, in order to assert their um, uh, their position with regard to their rights in the Aegean and the Mediterranean. Because by the, by the Greek interpretation, if they own all of the Aegean or all of the economic rights of the Aegean, and then they, they, the Greeks cut a, a deal with the, um, with the Egyptians on the other side of the Mediterranean, they can sort of divide it up between themselves. So what the, um, what the Turks have done is they've, they've gone over to Libya right next door to Egypt, um, and they've 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 created an alternative line, an agreement with the Libyan government um, to divide up the Mediterranean uh, differently. So 
basically, it's just a, um, a lot of people are asserting claims, and it's going to have to be sorted out through negotiation. Well, both Turkey and Greece are NATO allies. Now, that would be kind of messy uh, for NATO members if one of those countries attacked the other militarily, because an attack on one NATO member is considered an attack on all. I don't think NATO ever expected that uh, one of its member states would fight a war against another NATO member. How would NATO handle that, Michael? Might the EU pressure an alliance with Greece over Turkey? Well, this is what the this is a, one of the roles of the U.S. We we faced this before with regard to Greece and um, Greece and Turkey in the in the Balkans and in the Middle East. The U.S. often finds itself in a position where. Uh, it, its allies don't get along with each other. And that's one of our major roles to play, is to come in and to and and to be the uh, the mediator, the negotiator, and kind of the shock absorber between them. The Germans have been very active diplomatically to bring cooler heads here. So, uh, if the Germans are doing it, do the does the United States have a role then? I think the I think the the Germans have been playing a good role, and I think the U.S. should be in there backing up the Germans, or or, or maybe even getting the Germans to back up us. Um, what we have, which the Germans don't have, is we have military power. We we have a, we have a certain weight in uh, international affairs that the Germans don't have because they don't really have a military. You think this is going to result in uh, military conflict? You know, if you'd asked me this question um, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said no way. I thought that this was just going to head toward a new. I thought I thought we were going to have a a little bit of rhetorical escalation, and then there was going to be um, some kind of uh, diplomatic process that would sort it out. Uh, now I see that the escalation has moved uh, to the next stage. Uh, but look, if there's military action, it's going to be limited military action, and then there's going to be a negotiation. Uh, I'm sure that the American negotiators are going to be in there saying, hey, guys, why don't we just skip the military stage and just have the negotiation? Well, that sounds like a good plan. Okay, Michael Dorn. Thank you, Michael, for your time and insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden finally spoke out this week about the violence that is rocking American cities. Rioting is not protesting. Looting is not protesting. Setting fires is not protesting. None of this is protesting. It's lawlessness, plain and simple. And as expected, President Trump continues to push Biden and the Democrats on the issue. Appearing on the Laura Ingram show this week, the president speculated about the people backing violent protesters. But and the money is coming from somewhere. Money is coming when, from, how can it be from some very stupid rich people that have no idea that if their thing ever succeeded, which it won't, they will be thrown to the wolves like you've never seen before. Joining us with more on this growing threat to American society is culture and religion analyst Alex McFarlane. Mr. McFarlane has written a new book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. Alex, it's good to talk to you again. So the president blames rich liberals for funding the rioters. Why do you think we're seeing all of this violence in our cities right now? It's gone way beyond Black Lives Matter protests. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's always an honor to be on CBN. I appreciate you so much and count it a great privilege to spend a few moments with you. Do uh, You know, I, I think part of the reasons that we've been seeing the riots and part of the reason that uh, the, the rioters uh, and the anarchists have had really a, a velvet glove free ride by much of the secular media is because there are those that want America to fall. And they know that to introduce new order, they first have to create disorder. And that's what this is about. And we are witnessing really an act of war.
I mean, we are witnessing a, a, a coup attempt in the United States of America. That's why uh, people need to stay informed by listening to CBN. They need to pray and they need to vote and be an influence because the future of our country quite literally hangs in the balance. Alex, we're seeing attacks like this one. I guess people on Instagram said it happened in Baltimore, but it's hard to watch. A young Satanist hitting an innocent pedestrian in the head with a brick for no apparent reason. It wasn't a robbery. It wasn't a mugging. People see that and they say, what is happening in our society? You can't even walk down a street without getting hit in the head with a brick. Well, well, yeah, and as, as attendees from the Republican National Convention were leaving, they were accosted, they were attacked. Uh, Rand Paul is very well publicized. Um, he is saying, and many others finally are coming around to saying, look, this is an assault on our nation. Our freedoms hang in the balance. Not 24 hours ago in Los Angeles, at the LAPD, in front of one of the doors of a Los Angeles Police Department, uh, they burned a flag on the sidewalk and they spray painted things that I can't even repeat. But one of the acronyms, ACAB, all cops are bastards. Forgive me for using that word. But you've got to understand these people are the operatives for Marxists that want American cities to fall uh, and they want ultimately our Constitution to be deposed and done away with. We used to have civil discourse and debate. We'd listen to one another and then we'd compromise to come up with workable solutions to our problems. It seems like there's no longer a willingness to compromise, Alex. It's my way or the highway. How did we get to this point? Uh, well, you know, fundamentally, our battles are not social, economic, or political. Our battles are spiritual. We are very much in a spiritual battle. I mean, clearly, our nation was founded as a Judeo-Christian republic. That's been so well documented. Uh, but I, I want to say this. Uh, as, a, as a pastor and a counselor, when I've had to do family interventions and someone is caught in unrepentant sin— uh, we can do the wise thing and humble ourselves before God. But very often people that are doing wrong, and they know they're doing wrong, they will dig in their heels and be all the more recalcitrant and just fight. And, and the people that for the last 45 years have been about um, no-fault divorce and the breakup of families and unrestricted abortion and life is not sacred and the redefinition of marriage, the people that have worked hard to abolish our awareness of a Judeo-Christian moral code. They are really enraged. I know I've spoken at universities and been very scholarly, and yet I've had students and professors give me the middle finger. Um, that, that doesn't bother me. It's just acknowledgement of the human nature that when we're fighting the Spirit of God, God calling us to repent— um, we can either stand on the rock or stumble over it. And that's why the acrimony, that's why the vitriol, because there are, there are people in our country, and I love them, and I pray for them, but they know they need to relinquish their life to, to the Lord. And in your book, you talk about defending our nation and culture before it's too late. A lot of people are getting fed up. Some are even taking up arms to protect themselves and their property because police have been defunded. So quickly, what do we do short of our militias? Part of what makes this so tenuous and why this is the most consequential election in our lifetime is because so many millennials, even Christian millennials, 
uh, have never lived in a time when America was affirmed and valued. And so we've got this wave of humanity coming along that's been coached and groomed by secular education and Hollywood to hate America. And so I really honestly believe this is the most important election, uh, the most important season of our nation's history since the American Revolution. And uh, we need to turn to God and ask him to have mercy on this country and draw us back to himself. That's what we need a lot of right now. Alex McFarlane, you always give us plenty to think about. Your new book is The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. Thank you, Alex, for your time and insights. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Ongoing lockdowns are taking a toll beyond COVID-19 viral infections. The American Medical Association is raising concerns about an increase in opioid-related deaths. Last year, drug overdoses were up by 5%, and now, during the pandemic, they've skyrocketed, up over 18%. Many people are alone, isolated from others, unemployed, or depressed. So what can we do about it? Our next guest knows drug addiction all too well. Jimmy Lilly is here to set us straight by sharing his story about how he overcame it. Mr. Lilly is a 1972 graduate of Adult and Teen Challenge. Jimmy, many people say drug addiction is a disease, but I think uh, you probably believe it's a disease of the heart. What did you discover from your own addiction? Well, one of the things that I discovered from my addiction was that I could not control it. it there was nothing I could do to overcome it. And what I want to consider is that how can you, or what can you do to overcome drug addiction? I was nine years old when I when I heard anything about opium, uh, any form of drugs, and I and I vowed at nine years old I would never ever take any type of drugs. But two or three years later, my uh, my brother, a couple of years older than me, he was acting strange. I said, "Man, something's wrong with Bobby." And I said, "What is it?" So I asked him. He told me he was in his on in his own world. He had started smoking marijuana, and so I felt that he said, "I'm not dead." So I felt that wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with him. Then maybe it's okay with me. But not knowing that three or four months later, after smoking marijuana, that I was spiraled down into uh, opium addiction and LSD and other and meth. And it took my life, took me into such a place that I just could not recover from it. And what happened with me, I was on my way home to commit suicide because of this addiction. When something spoke to me in my mind, my spirit, and just said, listen, I can help you. And I didn't know that there was a God. I didn't serve God. I knew anything about God. But I knew that something was speaking to me and said, I can help you. And so if you listen to him, uh, you listen to uh, a spiritual um, voice. Uh, I don't mean to sound like a mystical thing, but uh, you can help. You can be helped. And I went through Teen Challenge uh, maybe uh, a month after that, that experience, and it helped me to process what really happened to me. Jimmy, how is Teen Challenge different from other drug programs? Explain to us, please. Services is a very big part of it. It's like giving back. I see when I went through the program, the the I think that the main reason that it, that the program worked is the spiritual component to it, of the gospel concept. 
is that it, they and the discipline that you learn uh, how to control your emotion, how to con control the cravings, and how to apply service to other people. Now, I know that a lot of people uh, have a desire to get clean, but they just can't afford the cost to enter a program. Now, you served with Wilkerson's ministry until retiring last year, and they've established a new scholarship program in your name. Tell us about that. Well, you know, first of all, let me uh, give uh, thanks to World Challenge. I'm so grateful for them. They understand my ministry and they absorb me in their love and in their care to do this. And they know how much I love Teen Challenge and how much I love to see people uh, have, get, have their life turn around. So when they offered to honor me with, uh, with a Jimmy Lilly scholarship, uh, I said, boy, this is a, a, a practical way I can still be in touch with people that need uh, um, uh, this program. You know, unfortunately, you know, this costs a lot of money now to go through. When I went through it, it only cost me like uh, $25, and they wouldn't give that back to me at the end of my service. And uh, so this scholarship should help many people to come out of a uh, drug addiction and find a way without having the financial pressure on them. They can give themselves completely to the program, allow that program to work uh, deep into their soul and their mind and hearts. So... Um, I, I'm so thankful for the scholarship. I just hope that it will help so many people to have such a, uh, to try to come out of this horrible life of drug addiction. And Jimmy, how do they find out more about the scholarship program? You can easily find it uh, uh, on um, Google, you know, National Team Challenge, and they will uh, lead you uh, to what you need to do at that particular time. Okay, Jimmy Lilly, thanks for sharing your story. And the good news about the folks at Adult and Teen Challenge. God bless you. God bless you. You have a good one. A cult of death and destruction is rising from the far reaches of the world to right here in the USA. Those weren't anti-American protesters in the streets of Tehran, Iran, but in Oakland, California, on the evening of August 26th. Death to America, death to police, death to the unborn. Folks, it's time to take a stand for our nation, democracy, and life. In Brazil, some Christians recently defended life by crowding outside an abortion clinic. They hoped to prevent a 10-year-old from aborting her baby. The girl reportedly had been raped by an uncle continuously since the age of six. Authorities arrested that uncle, and although Brazilian law prohibits most abortions, they are allowed in cases of rape. Demonstrators supporting the abortion insisted it was too risky for the 10-year-old to give birth. She'd likely die, they said. Also, they said, she should not be forced to deliver the baby of her rapist and raise a child when she herself is still a child. Folks, this is a horrible tragedy. This child was traumatized repeatedly by a pedophile and then traumatized again when she was forced to undergo an abortion. My heart goes out to her, but my heart also goes out to her baby. That child didn't deserve to be murdered simply because it was the product of incestual rape. You see, when we start making exceptions, then it's easy to make more. Soon abortion is allowed and promoted with Down syndrome babies. In China, it's done based on a child's sex or ethnicity. It's a slippery slope. 
You see, if you don't protect the unborn and value the sanctity of life, then all lives are no longer relevant. Life is cheapened. It's an attitude of no lives matter, and it permeates all of society today. Children are traded like property, enslaved, and or sexually abused. Dozens of missing children were recently rescued from human trafficking in Ohio, Michigan, Georgia, and Florida. Thank God for that. But you see the progression here? Disregard for human life metastasizes like cancer. It begins with children in the womb, then spreads to children outside the womb, and eventually evolves into disregard for the lives of the elderly. How many of them needlessly perish from COVID-19 in New York and New Jersey nursing homes and elsewhere? They were old. They would have died anyway, right? Wrong. Debasing human life led to the recent assault of an innocent pedestrian pummeled in the head with a brick in Baltimore. In Union Springs, Alabama, a black man shot and killed another black man because he was taking too long to cross the street. Yes, the life of Janarian Travis Allen mattered to his family, friends, and especially to God. From the cradle to the grave, all lives are precious. We are created by God for His purposes. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, most likely written by King David, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Yes, our days are numbered, our purposes ordained by God. Who knows, perhaps that 10-year-old's aborted child in Brazil was purposed by God to become a doctor saving lives, a teacher educating Brazil's children, or even a president leading the nation. We will never know. Folks, let's not forget the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. That includes children in and out of the womb, pedestrians walking on a sidewalk or slowly crossing the street, anyone. Celebrating life, honoring God, and treating all lives as sacred is the key to creating a more virtuous and just America. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Parlor, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.